Welcome to Long Distance Listening, a music podcast. Hello and welcome to Long Distance Listening. I'm Andrew. And I'm Nate. Welcome to part one of our two-part episode with Campbell Burns from Vacations. We will be talking to him in this part. Uh, Just general questions about vacations, about the band, about COVID and touring, and just getting to know Campbell Burns really well. And then in part two, we will be going track by track through Vacations' newest album coming out on September 18th called Forever in Bloom. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss that. That second part, which will be released soon after that album is released on September 18th. So, Nate, are you ready to jump into this interview? Yes, sir. Real quick, before we get into our interview with Campbell, we just wanted to show you a quick clip of the song Out of Breath by John Jin Han. And this track is very beautiful, very catchy. It's got Great layering, great guitar movement, very well produced, and we think you'll really enjoy it. So here is a quick clip, and then we'll head right into the interview. Thanks. Today we welcome Campbell Burns, frontman of the Australian woozy guitar pop quartet Vacations, who are delivering their second full-length release, Forever in Bloom, on September 18th, 2020. And let me tell you, it's a cracker. And yes, we learned that word through emailing with George, who set up the interview. Campbell, welcome and thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So before we get into more serious questions about your music, we kind of wanted to feel you out with our segment called How Blank Are You? So today it's called How Campbell Burns Are You? Where we're just going to ask you some either or questions because, you know, we're from the up over, you're from the down under, and we just want to make sure we're on the same page. So is that cool with you? Yeah, that's cool. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. Your first question is coffee or tea? Coffee. Maccas or Hungry Jacks? Oh, KFC. Um, I probably go. I probably would go with McDonald's though. Twin Peaks or Stranger Things? Twin Peaks. Sharks or snakes? Sharks. <laughs> the coast or the country? The coast. Summer or winter? Um, summer. I used to be a winter person, but definitely feeling summer as I get older. It's like it's winter here now. Actually, it's the tail end of winter, and I'm just freezing to death. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, summer here, so I think we want the winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're doing that swap. <laughs> nights out or nights in? Um, nights out. I like it, COVID. I just want to go on tour with the band and see the world and play shows. So I'm definitely craving nights out with everybody. And I'm touring this album. Like eating or sleeping? Eating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're both essential. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, definitely eating, though. (laughs) Reading or writing? Writing. In the studio or on tour? 
Um, I mean, yeah, definitely I want to go on tour now, but I do have a lot of love for being in the studio. I guess, yeah, now being on tour, being out. So the last question we have here, it just needs a little context. So Nate is from Boston. I am from Philly. And so we just want you to choose Boston or Philly. Boston? Yeah. There you go. Nate is two for two for international guests picking Boston. (laughs) So none of our USA guests have picked Boston. No. But all of our international guests so far have picked Boston. So I know who... I reach out for the interviews. I'm only doing international yeah. interviews. Yeah, we're never interviewing an American <laughs> band again. <laughs> uh, Boston, that's near New York, right? If I, yeah. Same with yeah, Oh, same. Really like with Philadelphia. Yeah, is it? yeah, yeah. They're probably about even. Yeah, like three hours, hours apiece. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't know. I, th- I thought like Philadelphia would be like in the center or something. And then like. <laughs> Yeah. There's nothing in the center of the United States. Like you probably will never tour there. <laughs> so <laughs> But come out come out east. Come near New York, Philly, Boston. Come join us. So obviously with COVID nineteen, there's no touring happening right now. In America right now, a lot of venues have even had to close and it seems like it's gonna be a while until bands can perform in the States here. So what are things looking like in Australia at this point? And do you have any hopes or plans of upcoming tours or live shows online? Australia is in a funny situation. I mean, right now, Western Australia, I know they have resumed going to gigs where people are shoulder to shoulder and they're slowly upping their capacity because they're so isolated on that side that, you know, COVID is really coming off there. Um, Whereas, say, like, Victoria, they're in lockdown. There's been huge spikes of COVID there. And in my own state, New South Wales, I mean, people are doing shows, but they're very small, intimate, seated gigs. And personally, I, especially with a second album about to drop, I don't really want to play a show like that. Like sitting, where everyone's sitting down, it's like 50 people, everyone's really spread out. I, like if I had to, I would wait. And I think we will. I think online streaming will probably be going in that kind of direction trying to get some more fan interaction. The other thing as well is it's like, I don't want to play a show in say Newcastle or Sydney or, I mean, I, I mean, I do, but at the same time, it's like, because the capacity is going to have to be so limited, even if it does start to go up to like a hundred, 200, it's like, we have such a international reach and I also want to tap into that. So I feel like online streaming or just doing like, I don't know, shows in that kind of way is the direction to take. Um, So I don't know, maybe we could do like an online tour. I mean, maybe we will do a small, we're still in talks with like management and a touring agency and all of that, trying to figure it out because it is such a like day-to-day situation to navigate. I don't don't know, 2020 is hard for everybody right now. uh, How do you do anything? Um, We are... We are keeping optimistic about it, though, you know, like, I think morale is high and we're all feeling really strong about this album. I think it's going to open up a lot of doors for us. And I think I think everyone's going to have a good time, you know, (laughs) (laughs) despite everything that is happening. 
So Vacation started as a solo project under your own name, but eventually materialized into a band, which includes Nate Lazzotti on guitar, Joey Van Leer on drums, and then uh, Jake Johnson, uh, a.k.a. to long-distance listening Jacques, on bass. So how has the band developed from strictly an independent project to now where everyone is involved and contributing to make the band what it is? I think through process of trial and error and sort of like a snowball effect, like it was, yeah, initially me starting to write songs in my bedroom and record that. And this was around when I would have finished high school and I was going to parties and meeting people and making all these new connections. And I met Jake and we hit it off. Like we had a lot of similar interests and hung out a lot. And he told me he used to play bass and he heard some of my stuff because I used to post those like original demos that were quite bare bones on the Tumblr and like we mutually followed each other. So we heard that and he's like, oh, hey, like I used to play bass, like, you know, maybe we could tee something up. And I was like, yeah, I would love to get a band together. And then like through me going to TAFE, which I guess is like the Australian equivalent of community college in the U.S., um, like I went to class with Nate and he was like, Oh, I've heard like your music before. Like, you know, we should like hang out more and like, you know, send ideas back and forth just kind of ever so slowly, like things were kind of starting to come together and all the pieces were sort of starting to fit. And then like Joey, he was the last member to join the party. And I remembered like probably the weakest link in the band was like trying to find a drummer that, really gel but also just wanted to kind of commit for the long haul um and i remember we actually we had to put out a call out on facebook and he was the first and only person <laughs> um glad he worked we out a, yeah no, we, had a, we had a jam though and i was like you're perfect you you can just shred on the drum kit so like i don't know it's just like over time things gradually um opened up more towards that direction you know like you're hanging out with these people you're always like rehearsing you're going on tour together you're becoming best friends and i mean like to a point i was still writing all the material probably up until like the first album changes where i wrote a bulk of the material um bar two songs i co-wrote with nate and then like post that and post the world tour we did especially after europe i feel like that was a really important moment that solidified a lot for us and where we wanted to go. Um, we kind of just like, I don't know, bunkered back down and just had a huge chat and got everything out, like what everyone was sort of feeling and where we wanted to head. And we wanted to try and push ourselves to go into a more collaborative process of writing, recording, production, just overall, I guess like the bigger picture of like everyone's doing their part more so. And I think, I mean, with with the album Forever in Bloom, I think it's really paid off. And I think we've all learned a lot about that process, about each other, how we work as a band. I think it's been really good for everybody. So with this being more collaborative, from a songwriting standpoint, you're still probably the main songwriter overall. Do you have a pretty consistent songwriting process or does it vary track by track? I have the most inconsistent stuff. <laughs> I wish I wish I could figure it out. I wish I could like tell you exactly like this is like these are my steps for writing a vacation song, but there isn't. 
which I think is kind of beautiful in a way because then it's like it's always a little bit different. It's always changing. And like I don't want to do the same thing over and over again. I mean, like um, some of the songs on the album were like the kind of started off as like a joke or me just like mucking around and trying new ideas and sending it through. And like I wouldn't even be that attached to it but it was sort of just like throwing things at the wall and seeing what other people thought of like especially if we were going to be heading in this more collaborative direction and like that works a couple of times like someone would like someone would kind of um grapple onto like one of the like main ideas of the song and be like well oh i really like that like let's like actually try and make that work like they would see something that you might not be able to which was like it was just fun and helpful like having other people share their own perspectives on tracks that you've written and the same would go for Nate as well like he would send through a song and like one person might be feeling one way about it and you know someone else might be feeling another way about it and it's just like all sort of like lots of back and forth and lots of fine tuning and tweaking we did like two rounds of pre-production like one very early on and then one just before we're about to go into the studio and then on top of that having someone like Oscar Dawson from Holy Holy who was like the producer for the album add another like layer to that like it's just lots of tweaking and lots of working so yeah speaking of oscar dawson the new album's production and mixing is incredible from the distinct vocals to the high synths to the rhythmic bass and piercing guitar hooks everything comes together so perfectly and i believe changes was mixed by you and nate is that correct <laughs> yeah. we um we were very young we didn't have any idea what we were doing i'm still like i'm still proud of like that effort considering because like it was record like uh, i love the contrast between the two albums i think the um process behind both has been really interesting and i think for the next album i'd love to try like a middle ground kind of route but it's like changes was the low budget diy till i die Effort. I mean, it was recorded, it was pretty much recorded in a spare bedroom with like hard wooden floors, like barely any like isolation, sound reverberating everywhere. I had maybe three or four microphones and whatever equipment I had lying around. And I had no, none of us had money or any industry connection. We had this online fan base growing and I really wanted to try and like push to get something out. Yeah, we didn't, we just didn't have that much equipment. We didn't have that much money. And the only way I knew that it was going to get mixed was if we undertook that ourselves. Like, we just did not have the budget to take these tracks and take it to somebody else or even try and re record some of the tracks. Like, it definitely has a lo fi DIY charm and aesthetic to that. But I think it's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of unique. It's kind of cute listening back to it. Like it's, it only came out two years ago. It feels like forever, but it's like, Oh, cool. Like that's, that's what I was doing then. That's how I was feeling. It's kind of nice. And then contrast that to this album, the budget is just so high and like the stakes are so high and like the quality is just at, like another world apart from it, you know? And then even being able to work with, um, again, that whole idea of collaboration, working with more people and kind of expanding that whole like palette and tool set and having someone like Oscar come in as well, just, I don't know, like really showed me, and I think everybody in the band, different ways of working and different ways of like writing or approaching songs or just like recording techniques or like how to like, like I'd ask Oscar sometimes like, oh, how did you get that sound? Like it's just all, I don't know, like really insightful. At the same time, though, I don't know, like, I love, I love just, like, recording 
things at home, I think it has like some sort of just like charm to it that you might not be able to get at a studio. So like, I don't know. this is me just like rambling now, but I think like in future, I think like trying that kind of middle ground approach, like you, like it's like a lo-fi kind of album, but like a little bit of like sheen and polish. I guess there's still elements of that like in Forever and Blue. So in my mind, this record is a bit more experimental than Changes or any of your past releases. Like the first time I heard Panache, it was like, what is going on? <laughs> Did uh, the experimentation happen naturally or was it something you and the boys had to go out of your way to pursue? Um, I'd say it was something that happened quite naturally. I mean, Panache existed as one of the first demos for Forever in Blue, and it was quite guitar-focused. It was, like, pretty different. It's kind of a similar vibe to On Your Own, which is why I didn't really stick to it, because I was like, this is just On Your Own, but a worse version of it. I mean, I like <laughs> I, I like some of the chord progressions and the melodies and ideas, but I was like, this is just a song that I write to write a better song. So, I don't know, it sat around for ages, but Jake was quite attached to it. And he, we, I remember we were up to like 10 tracks in the album and we really wanted to try and push ourselves and go to 12. And he was like, well, what about Panache? Like, think about Panache. And I was like, I don't want to use Panache. Like, it's dead. It's, it's, that's an old song. <laughs> no, but I don't know. It, it kind of kept up. And I was like, all right, I do really like the chord progression. I was always really attached to the main chord progression and that. And I was listening to a lot of Men I Trust at the time. And I love how much the bass lines are just pushed to the front. They're really just like groovy, catchy, melodic. And then that kind of like plucky bass tone that's like with a pick through an amp, like flat wounds, and it's really like warm and like the kind of 70s, like Carol Kay sort of tone. I just, I just love it. So I was like, what if I took the guitar approach originally and just flipped it to bass? And this was like two weeks before we had to go into the studio and I wrote panache in one sitting like it just came together so easily I, which is weird sometimes it just happens sometimes you just sit down like five or six hours just go by and you have this like fully formed song and you're just like what the fuck like this doesn't happen very often it's yeah. really usually months and it takes a lot of time and hard work to really like chip away at something but this just came so naturally and like, i had like the first three minutes and then just for fun i was just like mucking around on this like juno 106 vst I used to get that like kind of like really kind of like vacations guitar tone but on a synth and just added I just added that at the end I was just mucking around and then I started like adding guitar layers and I was like this is kind of cool it was like this 30 second little outro I was like oh man this is like this is nice I kind of want to expand on this and I like sat on it for a little bit and I was like I had lyrics for it but I left the second verse kind of there like sort of open I was like, I wasn't attached to it. And I just thought like, it'd be really, really sick to just have someone I know sing over this. And I had Sarah Sykes, who was the first person that came to mind for that verse. She's from um, a city band called Sunscreen. That's like beautiful jangly guitar pop music. And I was like, I know she'd be a good fit. And then I was like thinking about the outro and I was like, it'd be really cool to just get Creator Face, who's this like Newcastle hip hop duo that are just fantastic. I was like, it'd be cool to have them like at the end, just see what they do because they're so like experimental and different. And this is like, like again, like two weeks before we're about to go into the studio, I just pitched, pitched the ideas to the band and they're like, cool, that sounds great. Like, <laughs> like, like, 
really like the song and like the ideas and the like if it can work like let's go for it and i was just like i was like this is that this is gonna work like trust me like i'll make it happen and it it happened <laughs> <laughs> I, I contacted everybody about it and i was like here's a track i'd love to have you on it i know it's short notice but like let's just like get in there and make it happen and i think that's why it came out the way it did it was just like so spur of the moment and so much like energy and like uh, I was frantic and it was just getting it done. Whereas some of the other tracks have been sitting around for like so much longer. And it's like, it's like they're there, they're cool. You really like them. But there was this new track that just came out of nowhere and it was just like really groovy and like fun. But then I had this weird three and a half minute like trap section with like auto tune and 808s. Like it was not, it's not us at all. And I was just, I was just, again, I was like, fuck it, I don't care. Like, if you, <laughs> if fans go into it expecting that it's going to be, like, vibes or changes, that this is just like, oh, like, you need to forget that idea. You need to leave that behind because, like, artists grow and change and develop. I can't just keep writing. Like, I could, if I really wanted to and become a shell of a person, I could just write, like, <laughs> the same riffs over and over again. But it's like, come on, I want to do something different. And that was like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like a statement song, but also just me having fun. Like, and I think that shows, so. <laughs> so you're releasing Forever in Bloom on September 18th. And Andrew and I, we usually think a lot about when an album is being released during the year, like what time it's being released and how does that relate to the theming or the sound. And at first, I thought there wasn't really any correlation because the record is dropping in the fall and Forever in Bloom fits more of a spring kind of theming. But then I realized for Australia, September is the beginning of spring, so it works out perfectly. How intentional was the release date in light of the theming of the record? <laughs> it wasn't intentional at all. <laughs> um, I actually didn't even notice till Joey pointed it out a couple of days ago. And I was like, oh, that's really sweet. That's like, that'll, that'll seem intentional, and that's great. It all just adds to that. PR marketing spin. So, like, I'm just going to write that way, if you know. <laughs> so, thematically, the album really contrasts changes. You already talked partly about that. And I mean, even the title speaks to this changes where things are, well, they're changing. And Forever in Bloom, where there, it kind of feels like there's this constant state of beauty after transformation, just from a title standpoint. What would you say are the main differences between where you were as a person when you wrote Changes and where you are now after writing Forever in Bloom? Oh, my God. That's such, like, a deep philosophical question. I really, it's, like, existential. Like, I have to, like, really go inside myself about that. <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> like, I feel like the band is more together, more connected than ever. I feel like there's a sense of solidarity we're all in this and we just want to do the best that we possibly can. Whereas I feel like with changes that was kind of there, but I don't know. It just, it just, everything feels a bit, I don't know, more like legitimate and realized. And I think it's like getting to a point where it's, it's like a turning point, I guess, essentially where things are really going to start actually changing with no pun intended. <laughs> like, I don't know. Does that answer your question? That's actually quite, it's interesting to answer, but I'm not really sure how to go about it. Like, yeah, no, I think that's a totally acceptable answer. That, I think the tr the transfer from being kind of more on your own to now being together, I think, is a huge transformational piece. Yeah, 
Yeah, I guess that's a yeah. I guess that's a way to think about. It. I don't know. It changed. Like for me, it changes. It feels again. It's only two years, but it just feels so long ago. Like to think of myself back then. It's just like, who is that person? It's really odd. And it's actually it's kind of funny listening to um, Forever in Bloom now because we recorded that back in November. And it's like, I'm listening to, like, the songs again now, and it's like, oh, like, that's what I was going through. Oh, like, this actually kind of makes more sense now. Like, it's sort of like there's more realization once the moment has kind of passed or once you have that, like, chance to sort of reflect. So we want to take a moment to talk about the album artwork. The album artwork is so creative. It seems to be a collage of two people with flower heads watering and gardening the stars with a mountain range in the background that helps frame the artwork to make everything together look like a flower. So three questions. Okay. What inspired the artwork? What's the meaning behind the stars? And who is responsible for its creation? Uh, I'm going to answer that backwards. So Hannah Dunn, a good friend of ours, um, she did all the design work for this album cycle. So from On Your Own till the final album cover, she's done just a fantastic job and really, like, just captured, like, what we wanted to get across and, like, all just the visual, like, aesthetic. Like, it's just gorgeous. As for the stars, (laughs) I don't know if they're really... I mean, that can mean something if you wanted to, but they're just there to be pretty, at least for me. I, I think, like, it's it's just a nice little visual element. It just, I think it's quite cute <laughs> to be <laughs> surface level, but, like, I don't know, sometimes there's not a deep meaning in it. Um, yeah. And then the first question, I guess, like, what inspired the artwork? I feel like from the beginning, as we're getting these songs together, like, everyone sort of had, like, a themed visual in their head, whereas for me, it was more thinking about our time in Europe, because like I said, that was like a time where things really solidified and I think we really connected as people and as a band. Um, And what I just remember visually the most is just seeing the Swiss Alps as we were like crammed into this tiny van driving from country to country and rolling out just to play shows. Like I just, it's just such a strong visual for me and that, you know, obviously would connect to the nature kind of visual that the rest of the guys are seeing. So I think we kind of just met in the middle there and sort of like collage like that. And then we had these like flower people and then there's like, they're watering out like stars and it's just very like pretty. I feel like it just kind of, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's all like a nice neat little package. Like you see that, you see forever in bloom and you're like, damn, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be pleasant. <laughs> you're in for a pleasant time. <laughs> so your collective NoFi is such such a sick idea and must help create a really cool music culture with some other local bands and artists in the Australian scene. We know you're in NTL Landmarks as well, which is a great group. We only know a limited number of Australian artists and are taking steps to discover more. Are there any groups or artists you'd like to give a shout out to? Oh my God, I could give a shout out to a million right now. Um, yes, definitely NTL Landmarks. I love them. They're beautiful people. Um, Teddy, who I've recently started producing for, she has a single out called Call Me, which is very fun, boppy, kind of club vibe. Creator Face, the hip-hop duo that features on Panache, they're fantastic. If you're fans of like Brockhampton or JPEG Mafia, you'll definitely enjoy that. Um, as well as Sunscreen, that like jingly jangly guitar band from Sydney, really lush, really beautiful. Fritz as well from Newcastle. She's this very fuzzy, lo-fi kind of aesthetic, kind of like um, kind of like always, just yeah, really like fun 
guitar pop songs there. And then, oh my god, a lot. The, the, there's too many. There's too many. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could I could talk for hours, but yeah. So each member of the band made a playlist, uh, which included their own inspirations for the record, which I thought was a wicked sick idea. Every one of you had someone that. I was that I'm in love with, which makes sense for why I'm in love with the record. Looking specifically at your playlist, I'm just gonna kind of drool over this a little bit. Yeah, I actually had to really like think hard to remember. And then some songs are definitely on there as a joke, but I love those songs. So but you you you, you pick it out. This will be fun. So. so porches, car is one of the best songs ever. And that record, Pool, is just phenomenal. That record, that song in particular fucks me up quite a lot. It's oh. it's so good. Um, Yeah, that album, like, it just introduced me to synths and drum machines. And I remembered reading interviews and forums trying to figure out, you know, what he used. And I eventually figured out, like, you know, he's using the Roland Juno, he's using the DX7. He's using the Roland R8 drum machine. Like, I just got, like, samples and BSTs and started, like, kind of, like, building up sounds inspired by that and eventually figuring out, like, my own patches. And that just sort of bled its way onto the album almost throughout every track. And, like, just, like, it's such a simple album. Like, I don't think the production is insane or crazy. It's very just straightforward, Mm. like, work and songs. It's just, it's great. I just love it. It's, like groovy but kind of like sad and downbeat it's like songs you could almost cry to in the club <laughs> yeah that's such a great description <laughs> like they're just like they're fun they like a bit of a sway and like just like the bass lines throughout the same like like men i trust they're like melodic boppy like and like the his vocals and like the layering the auto tune like yeah definitely yeah definitely a huge influence on me like still today so yeah you mentioned men i trust uncle jazz one of the like I view that as such a like nostalgic daydreaming record, like and that was we already talked about that. That was very clearly prevalent on the record. Kevin Crowder, who this is definitely a plug we had on the podcast, two part interview on full hand. Check it out if you haven't listened already. But he's a phenomenal musician as well. Yeah, he is. <laughs> um, and then lastly, uh, Jason. Everybody works. One of my top ten albums of all time. And she's incredible as well. You have such a stacked playlist. How has your music taste developed uh, when you first started listening to music into like what it's become today? Um, technology, honestly, like technology <laughs> yeah. just isn't really dictated how I consume music. I mean, I remember um, my earliest memory of really listening to anything was when we got our first like home computer as a family back when I was like twelve. And we, someone, somebody got an iPod for Christmas as well, and they got like a $50 gift voucher. And then, I don't know why, I was like obsessed with Jimmy Require. I would just get the CDs of his from the library, and I just absolutely loved his music. And I remember like buying like with that gift card, like some of his like work, and then like playing on my iPod, and I was like having the best time. And then like, you know, I, throughout the years, like I became, you know, a vinyl snob, and I really liked Radiohead. <laughs> Um, but now I don't listen to record. I, I can't be bothered to collect vinyl or CDs or like physical. That's just gone completely out the window. Cause it's like, I just uh-huh. use Spotify algorithms, which feels cheap. I don't know. It feels like you're kind of a, like a peasant or something. For like, <laughs> but 
but it's like it puts you onto so much like it puts you on like so many great artists and same with youtube yeah. like i'm sure like both of you have gone down a youtube rabbit hole late at night and just listening to like I don't know, like '80s, like Japanese city pop, or <laughs> black Norwegian death metal, or something like that. Like I, I, I definitely have. <laughs> so, being from Australia, which is super far from musical hubs such as the UK and the States. Speaking of what you just brought up, how has the use of streaming platforms like Spotify or YouTube or Apple Music helped your band throughout the years? Uh, it is instrumental to our success. We would not have survived this long without it. <laughs> Honestly, well, I mean, um, to do a small throwback, I mean, with Vibes, that second EP, it like it it came out and it was floating around for about a month or two, and there wasn't really any traction in Australia. Like, it didn't get picked up by Triple J. I wasn't really looking for it to get picked up by Triple J, I guess, anyway. And, like, we did, like, a small tour. And, you know, people came out to shows, like, 30, 40 or so people. Like, we were kind of coasting along. But then, like, I don't know, like, on YouTube, like, people in the U.S. started uploading it. People like David Dean Birkenhart and Lazy Me. And, like, they have a following. Like, they've got, like... I don't know, hundreds of thousands of subscribers and they get notifications. So like all these people are just suddenly jumping on your music and it's just everywhere. And then, you know, you look at something more recently, like TikTok, like how young a song that came out now four years ago off that same EP is, has just exploded. It's everywhere. Like it's our, now our most played song. And it's, it's done that in like a matter of like a month. Like it's just gotten so many streams so quickly. Like it's, it's how we have, yeah, I guess our international fan base is the reason why we can tour overseas. It's the reason why we can do so many things. Like, it, it's so important. It's so important. So thanks so much for sharing, Campbell. Uh, for those listening, this is part one of our part two interview with Campbell Burns of Vacations. On part two with Campbell, which will be released shortly after the record, we'll be going track by track through Forever and Bloom. So stay tuned. Subscribe on whichever streaming platform uh, you're using because you won't want to miss it. And also make sure you pre-order the record on vinyl. Even though Campbell doesn't listen to vinyl, we know you do, and <laughs> um, and pre-save the record on whatever streaming platform you're on. You're not going to want to miss a day of not being able to listen to this record.